Section 39 of Essays, Book 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Essays, Book 2 by Michel de Montaigne. Translated by Charles Cotton of the resemblance of children to their fathers. This faggoting up of so many diverse pieces is so done that I never set pen to paper, but when I have too much idle time, and never anywhere but at home, so that it is compiled after diverse interruptions and intervals, occasions keeping me sometimes many months elsewhere. As to the rest, I never correct my first by any second conceptions. I, peradventure, may alter a word or two, but it is only to vary the phrase, and not to destroy my former meaning. I have a mind to represent the progress of my humors, and that everyone may see each piece as it came from the forge. I could wish I had begun sooner, and had taken more notice of the course of my mutations. A servant of mine, whom I employed to transcribe for me, thought he had got a prize by the stealing several pieces from me, wherewith he was best pleased. But it is my comfort that he will be no greater a gainer than I shall be a loser by the theft. I am grown older by seven or eight years since I began, nor has it been without some new acquisition. I have, in that time, by the liberality of years, been acquainted with the stone. Their commerce and long converse do not well pass away without some such inconvenience. I could have been glad that of other infirmities age has to present, long-lived men withal, it had chosen someone that would have been more welcome to me, for it could not possibly have laid upon me a disease for which, even from my infancy, I have had so great a horror. And it is, in truth, of all the accidents of old age, that of which I have ever been most afraid. I have often thought with myself that I went on too far, and that in so long a voyage I should at last run myself into some disadvantage. I perceived, and have often enough declared, that it was time to depart, and that life should be cut off in that sound and living part according to the surgeon's rule in amputations, and that nature made him pay very strict usury who did not in due time pay the principal. And yet I was so far from being ready that in the eighteen months' time or thereabout that I have been in this uneasy condition, I have so inured myself to it as to be content to live on in it, and have found wherein to comfort myself, and to hope. So much are men enslaved to their miserable being, that there is no condition so wretched they will not accept, provided they may live. Hear my sinus. Debilem facito manu, debilem pede, coxa, Lubricos quate dentes, vita dum superest, beneest. Cripple my hand, foot, hip, shake out my loose teeth. While there's life, tis well. Apud Seneca, Epistolae, 101. And Tamerlane, with a foolish humanity, palliated the fantastic cruelty he exercised upon lepers when he put all he could hear of to death, to deliver them, as he pretended, 
from the painful life they lived. For there was not one of them who would not rather have been thrice a leper than be not. And Antisthenes the Stoic, being very sick and crying out, Who will deliver me from these evils? Diogenes, who had come to visit him, this, said he, presenting him with a knife, soon enough, if thou wilt. I do not mean from my life, he replied, but from my sufferings. The sufferings that only attack the mind I am not so sensible of as most other men. And this partly out of a judgment for the world looks upon several things as dreadful or to be avoided at the expense of life that are almost indifferent to me, partly through a dull and insensible complexion I have in accidents which did not point-blank hit me, and that insensibility I look upon as one of the best parts of my natural condition but essential and corporeal pains I am very sensible of, and yet, having long since foreseen them, though with a sight weak and delicate and softened with the long and happy health and quiet that God has been pleased to give me the greatest part of my time, I had in my imagination fancied them so insupportable that in truth I was more afraid than I have since found I had cause, by which I am still more fortified in this belief, that most of the faculties of the soul, as we employ them, more trouble the repose of life than they are any way useful to it. I am in conflict with the worst, the most sudden, the most painful, the most mortal, and the most irremediable of all diseases. I have already had the trial of five or six very long and very painful fits, and yet I either flatter myself or there is even in this state what is very well to be endured by a man who has his soul free from the fear of death and of the menaces conclusions and consequences which physic is ever thundering in our ears. But the effect even of pain itself is not so sharp and intolerable as to put a man of understanding into rage and despair. I have at least this advantage by my stone, that what I could not heretofore prevail upon myself to resolve upon as to reconciling and acquainting myself with death, it will perfect. For the more it presses upon and importunes me, I shall be so much the less afraid to die. I had already gone so far as only to love life for life's sake, but my pain will dissolve this intelligence, and God grant that in the end, should the sharpness of it be once greater than I shall be able to bear, it does not throw me into the other no less vicious extreme to desire and wish to die. Summum nec metuas diem, nec optes. Neither to wish nor fear to die, or... Thou shouldst neither fear nor desire the last day. Marshall 10.7 They are two passions to be feared, but the one has its remedy much nearer at hand than the other. As to the rest, I have always found the precept that so rigorously enjoins a resolute countenance and disdainful and indifferent comportment in the toleration of infirmities to be ceremonial. Why should philosophy, which only has respect to life and effects, trouble itself about these external appearances? Let us leave that care to actors and masters of rhetoric, 
who set so great a value upon our gestures. Let her allow this vocal frailty to disease, if it be neither cordial nor stomachic, and permit the ordinary ways of expressing grief by sighs, sobs, palpitations, and turning pale that nature has put out of our power, provided the courage be undaunted, and the tones not expressive of despair, let her be satisfied. What matter the wringing of our hands if we do not wring our thoughts? She forms us for ourselves, not for others. To be, not to seem. Let her be satisfied with governing our understanding, which she has taken upon her the care of instructing, that, in the fury of the colic, she maintained the soul in a condition to know itself and to follow its accustomed way, contending with and enduring, not merely truckling under pain, moved and heated, not subdued and conquered, in the contention, capable of discourse and other things to a certain degree. In such extreme accidents, tis cruelty to require so exact a composedness. Tis no great matter that we make a wry face, if the mind plays its part well. If the body find itself relieved by complaining, let it complain. If agitation ease it, let it tumble and toss at pleasure. If it seem to find the disease evaporate, as some physicians hold, that it helps women in delivery, in making loud outcries, or if this do but divert its torments, let it roar as it will. Let us not command this voice to sally, but stop it not. Epicurus not only forgives his sage for crying out in torments, but advises him to do it. Pugile setiam cum feriunt in jactantis castibus in gemis cunt, quia profundenda walk omnes intenditur, venitque plaga vehementior. Boxers also, when they strike, groan in the act, because with the strength of voice the whole body is carried, and the blow comes with the greater vehemence. Cicero, Tusculani Quaestiones, 2.23. We have enough to do to deal with the disease without troubling ourselves with these superfluous rules, which I say in excuse of those whom we ordinarily see impatient in the assaults of this malady. For as to what concerns myself, I have passed it over hitherto with a little better countenance, and contented myself with groaning without roaring out, not nevertheless that I put any great constraint upon myself to maintain this exterior decorum, for I make little account of such an advantage. I allow herein as much as the pain requires, but either my pains are not so excessive or I have more than ordinary patience. I complain, I confess, and am a little impatient in a very sharp fit, but I do not arrive to such a degree of despair as he who with eulatu questu gimitu frametibus raisonando multum flabilis vocis refert, howling, roaring, groaning with a thousand voices, expressing his torment in a dismal voice, or wailing, complaining, groaning, murmuring, much avail, lugubrious sounds. Verses of Attius in his Philoctetes, quoted by Cicero de Finibus 2.29, Tusculani Quaestiones 2.14. I try myself in the depth of my suffering, and have always found that I was in a capacity to speak, think, and give a rational answer as well as at any other time, but not so firmly, being troubled and interrupted by the pain. When I am looked upon by my visitors to be in the greatest torment, and that they therefore forbear to trouble me, 
I often essay my own strength, and myself set some discourse on foot, the most remote I can contrive from my present condition. I can do anything upon a sudden endeavor, but it must not continue long. Oh, what a pity tis I have not the faculty of that dreamer in Cicero, who, dreaming he was lying with a wench, found he had discharged his stone in the sheets. My pains strangely deaden my appetite that way. In the intervals from this excessive torment, when my ureters only languish without any great dolor, I presently feel myself in my wanted state, forasmuch as my soul takes no other alarm but what is sensible and corporal, which I certainly owe to the care I have had of preparing myself by meditation against such accidents. Laborum nolamihi nova nunc facies inopinove surgat. Omnia praecepi, atque animo mecum ante peregi. No new shape of suffering can arise, new or unexpected. I have anticipated all, and acted them over beforehand in my mind. Aeneid 6, 103. I am, however, a little roughly handled for an apprentice, and with a sudden and sharp alteration, being fallen in an instant from a very easy and happy condition of life into the most uneasy and painful that can be imagined. For besides that it is a disease very much to be feared in itself, it begins with me after a more sharp and severe manner than it is used to do with other men. My fits come so thick upon me that I am scarcely ever at ease. Yet I have hitherto kept my mind so upright that, provided I can still continue it, I find myself in a much better condition of life than a thousand others, who have no fewer nor other disease but what they create to themselves for want of meditation. There is a certain sort of crafty humility that springs from presumption, as this, for example, that we confess our ignorance in many things, and are so courteous as to acknowledge that there are in the works of nature some qualities and conditions that are imperceptible to us and of which our understanding cannot discover the means and causes. By this so honest and conscientious declaration, we hope to obtain that people shall also believe us as to those that we say we do understand. We need not trouble ourselves to seek out foreign miracles and difficulties. Methinks, amongst the things that we ordinarily see, there are such incomprehensible wonders as surpass all difficulties of miracles. What a wonderful thing it is that the drop of seed from which we are produced should carry in itself the impression not only of the bodily form, but even of the thoughts and inclinations of our fathers. Where can that drop of fluid matter contain that infinite number of forms? And how can they carry on these resemblances with so precarious and irregular a process that the son shall be like his great-grandfather, the nephew like his uncle? In the family of Lepidus at Rome there were three, not successively, but by intervals, who were born with the same eye covered with the cartilage. At Thebes there was a race that carried from their mother's womb the form of the head of a lance, and he, who was not born so, was looked upon as illegitimate. And Aristotle says that in a certain nation where the women were in common, they assigned the children to their fathers by their resemblance. Tis to be believed that I derive this infirmity from my father, for he died wonderfully tormented with a great stone in his bladder. He was never sensible of his disease till the sixty-seventh year of his age, and before that, 
had never felt any menace or symptoms of it, either in his reins, sides, or any other part, and had lived till then in a happy, vigorous state of health, little subject to infirmities, and he continued seven years after in this disease, dragging on a very painful end of life. I was born about five and twenty years before his disease seized him, and in the time of his most flourishing and healthful state of body, his third child in order of birth. Where could his propension to this malady lie lurking all that while? And he being then so far from the infirmity, how could that small part of his substance wherewith he made me carry away so great an impression for its share? And how so conceal that till five and forty years after I did not begin to be sensible of it, being the only one to this hour amongst so many brothers and sisters, and all by one mother that was ever troubled with it? He that can satisfy me in this point, I will believe him in an as many other miracles as he pleases, always provided that, as their manner is, he do not give me a doctrine much more intricate and fantastic than the thing itself for current pay. Let the physicians a little excuse the liberty I take, for by the same infusion and fatal insinuation it is that I have received a hatred and contempt of their doctrine. The antipathy I have against their art is hereditary. My father lived threescore and fourteen years, my grandfather sixty and nine, my great-grandfather almost fourscore years, without ever tasting any sort of physic. And with them, whatever was not ordinary diet was instead of a drug. Physic is grounded upon experience and examples. So is my opinion. And is not this an express and very advantageous experience? I do not know that they can find me in all their records three that were born, bred, and died under the same roof who have lived so long by their conduct. They must here of necessity confess that if reason be not, fortune at least is on my side and with physicians fortune goes a great deal further than reason. Let them not take me now at a disadvantage. Let them not threaten me in the subdued condition wherein I now am. That were treachery. In truth, I have enough the better of them by these domestic examples that they should rest satisfied. Human things are not usually so constant. It has been two hundred years, say the eighteen, that this trial has lasted. For the first of them was born in the year 1402. Tis now indeed very good reason that this experience should begin to fail us. Let them not therefore reproach me with the infirmities under which I now suffer. Is it not enough that I for my part have lived seven and forty years in good health? though it should be the end of my career, tis of the longer sort. My ancestors had an aversion to physic by some occult and natural instinct, for the very sight of drugs was loathsome to my father. The seigneur de Gaviac, my uncle by the father's side, a churchman and a valetudinary from his birth, and yet who made that crazy life hold out to sixty-seven years, being once fallen into a furious fever, it was ordered by the physicians he should be plainly told that if he would not make use of help, for so they call that which is very often an obstacle, he would infallibly be a dead man. That good man, though terrified with this dreadful sentence, yet replied, I am then a dead man, but God soon after made the prognostic false. The last of the brothers, there were four of them, and by many years the last, the Sieur de Bussaguet, was the only one of the family who made use of medicine. 
by reason, I suppose, of the concern he had with the other arts, for he was a counsellor in the court of Parliament, and it succeeded so ill with him that, being in outward appearance of the strongest constitution, he yet died long before any of the rest, save the Sieur de Saint-Michel. Tis possible I have derived this natural antipathy to physic from them, but had there been no other consideration in the case, I would have endeavored to have overcome it, for all these conditions that spring in us without reason are vicious. Tis a kind of disease that we should wrestle with. It may be I had naturally this propension, but I have supported and fortified it by arguments and reasons which have established in me the opinion I am of. For I also hate the consideration of refusing physic for the nauseous taste. I should hardly be of that humor who hold health to be worth purchasing by all the most painful cauteries and incisions that can be applied. And with Epicurus, I conceive that pleasures are to be avoided if greater pains can be the consequence, and pains to be coveted that will terminate in greater pleasures. Health is a precious thing, and the only one in truth meriting that a man should lay out not only his time, sweat, labor, and goods, but also his life itself to obtain it. For as much as without it, Life is wearisome and injurious to us. Pleasure, wisdom, learning, and virtue without it wither away and vanish, and to the most labored and solid discourses that philosophy would imprint in us to the contrary, we need no more but oppose the image of Plato being struck with an epilepsy or apoplexy, and in this presupposition, to defy him to call the rich faculties of his soul to his assistance. All means that conduce to health can neither be too painful nor too dear to me. But I have some other appearances that make me strangely suspect all this merchandise. I do not deny but that there may be some art in it, that there are not amongst so many works of nature things proper for the conservation of health. That is most certain. I very well know there are some simples that moisten and others that dry. I experimentally know that radishes are windy and senna leaves purging, and several other such experiences I have, as that mutton nourishes me and wine warms me. And Solon said, that eating was physic against the malady hunger. I do not disapprove the use we make of things the earth produces, nor doubt in the least of the power and fertility of nature, and of its application to our necessities. I very well see that pikes and swallows live by her laws, but I mistrust the inventions of our mind, our knowledge and art, to countenance which we have abandoned nature and her rules, and wherein we keep no bounds or moderation. And we call the piling up of the first laws that fall into our hands justice, and their practice and dispensation very often foolish and very unjust, as those who scoff at it and accuse it do not nevertheless blame that noble virtue itself, but only condemn the abuse and profanation of that sacred title. So in physic, I very much honor that glorious name, its propositions, its promises, so useful for the service of mankind. But for the ordinances it foists upon us, betwixt ourselves, I neither honor nor esteem. In the first place, experience makes me dread it, for amongst all my acquaintances I see no people so soon sick and so long before they are well as those who take much physic. Their very health is altered and corrupted by their frequent prescriptions. Physicians are not content to deal only with the sick, but they will moreover corrupt health itself, 
for fear men should at any time escape their authority. Do they not, from a continual and perfect health, draw the argument of some great sickness to ensue? I have been sick often enough, and have always found my sickness easy enough to be supported, though I have made trial of almost all sorts, and as short as those of any other, without their help, or without swallowing their ill-tasting doses. The health I have is full and free, without other rule or discipline than my own custom and pleasure. Every place serves me well enough to stay in, for I need no other conveniences when I am sick than what I must have when I am well. I never disturb myself that I have no physician, no apothecary, nor any other assistance which I see most other sick men more afflicted at than they are with their disease. What? Do the doctors themselves show us more felicity and duration in their own lives that may manifest to us some apparent effect of their skill? There's not a nation in the world that has not been many ages without physic, and these the first ages, that is to say, the best and most happy, and the tenth part of the world knows nothing of it yet. Many nations are ignorant of it to this day, where men live more healthful and longer than we do here, and even amongst us, the common people live well enough without it. The Romans were six hundred years before they received it, and after having made a trial of it, banished it from the city at the instance of Cato the censor, who made it appear how easy it was to live without it. Having himself lived fourscore and five years, and kept his wife alive to an extreme old age, not without physic, but without a physician. For everything that we find to be healthful to life may be called physic. He kept his family in health, as Plutarch says, if I mistake not, with hare's milk, as Pliny reports, that the Arcadians cured all manner of diseases with that of a cow. And Herodotus says, the Libyans generally enjoy rare health by a custom they have, after their children are arrived to four years of age, to burn and cauterize the veins of their head and temples, by which means they cut off all defluxions of room for their whole laws. And the country people of our province make use of nothing in all sorts of distempers but the strongest wine they can get, mixed with a great deal of saffron and spice, and always with the same success. And to say the truth, of all this diversity and confusion of prescriptions, what other end and effect is there, after all, but to purge the belly, which a thousand ordinary simples will do as well? And I do not know whether such evacuations be so much to our advantage as they pretend, and whether nature does not require a residence of her excrements to a certain proportion, as wine does of its lees, to keep it alive. You often see healthful men fall into vomitings and fluxes of the belly by some extrinsic accident, and make a great evacuation of excrements without any preceding need or any following benefit, but rather with hurt to their constitution. Tis from the great Plato that I lately learned that of three sorts of motions which are natural to us, purging is the worst, and that no man, unless he be a fool, ought to take anything to that purpose but in the extremest necessity. Men disturb and irritate the disease by contrary oppositions. It must be the way of living that must gently dissolve and bring it to its end. The violent gripings and contexts between drug and the disease are ever to our loss since the combat is fought within ourselves, and that the drug is an assistant not to be trusted, being in its own nature an enemy to our health, and by trouble having only access into our condition. Let it alone a little, 
the general order of things that takes care of fleas and moles also takes care of men, if they will have the same patience that fleas and moles have to leave it to itself. Tis to much purpose we cry out, Beor! a term used by the Languedoc wagoneers to hasten their horses. Tis a way to make us hoarse, but not to hasten the matter. Tis a proud and uncompassionate order. Our fears, our despair, displease and stop it from, instead of inviting it to, our relief. It owes its course to the disease, as well as to health, and will not suffer itself to be corrupted in favor of the one to the prejudice of the other's right, for it would then fall into disorder. Let us in God's name follow it. It leads those that follow and those who will not follow. It drags along both their fury and physic together. Order a purge for your brain. It will there be much better employed than upon your stomach. One asking a Lacedaemonian what had made him live so long, he made answer, The ignorance of physic! And the Emperor Adrian continually exclaimed as he was dying that the crowd of physicians had killed him. A bad wrestler turned physician, Courage! says Diogenes to him, Thou hast done well, for now thou wilt throw those who have formerly thrown thee. But they have this advantage, according to Nicocles, that the sun gives light to their success, and the earth covers their failures. And, besides, they have a very advantageous way of making use of all sorts of events. For what fortune, nature, or any other cause, of which the number is infinite, produces of good and healthful in this, it is the privilege of physic to attribute to itself. All the happy successes that happen to the patient must be thence derived. The accidents that have cured me, and a thousand others who do not employ physicians, physicians usurp to themselves. And as to ill accidents, they either absolutely disown them, in laying the fault upon the patient, by such frivolous reasons as they are never at a loss for, as... He lay with his arms out of bed, or he was disturbed with the rattling of a coach. Rydarum transitus arto vicorum inflexu. The passage of the wheels in the narrow turning of the street. Juvenile 3, 236. Or somebody had set open the casement, or he had lain upon his left side, or... He had some disagreeable fancies in his head. In some, a word, a dream, or a look, seems to them excuse sufficient wherewith to palliate their own errors. Or, if they so please, they even make use of our growing worse and do their business in this way, which can never fail them, which is by buzzing us in the ear when the disease is more inflamed by their medicaments that it had been much worse but for those remedies. He, who from an ordinary coal they have thrown into a double tertian egg, had but for them been in a continued fever. They do not much care what mischief they do, since it turns to their own profit. In earnest, they have reason to require a very favorable belief from their patients. And indeed, it ought to be a very easy one to swallow things so hard to be believed. Plato said very well that physicians were the only men who might lie at pleasure, since our health depends upon the vanity and falsity of their promises. Aesop, a most excellent author, and of whom few men discover all the graces, pleasantly represents to us the tyrannical authority physicians usurp over poor creatures, weakened and subdued by sickness and fear, when he tells us that a sick person, being asked by his physician what operation he found of the potion he had given him, I have sweated very much, 
says the sick man. That's good, says the physician. Another time, having asked how he felt himself after his physic, I have been very cold and have had a great shivering upon me, said he. That is good, replied the physician. After the third potion, he asked him again how he did. Why, I find myself swollen and puffed up, said he. As if I had a dropsy. That's very well, said the physician. One of his servants coming presently after to inquire how he felt himself. Truly, friend, said he, with being too well, I'm about to die. There was a more just law in Egypt by which the physician, for the three first days, was to take charge of his patient at the patient's own risk and cost. But those three days being past, it was to be at his own. For what reason is it that their patron, Esculapius, should be struck with thunder for restoring Hippolytus from death to life? Nam pater omnipotens, aliquem indignatus ab umbris, mortalem infernis ad lumina surgere vitae, ipse repertorem medicinae talus, et artis fomine foibigenam stigias detrusit arundas. Then the Almighty Father, offended that any mortal should rise to the light of life from the infernal shades, struck the son of Phoebus with his forked lightning to the Stygian lake. Aeneid 7770 and his followers be pardoned who send so many souls from life to death. A physician boasting to Nicocles that his art was of great authority. It is so indeed, said Nicocles, that can with impunity kill so many people. As to what remains, had I been of their counsel, I would have rendered my discipline more sacred and mysterious. They begun well, but they have not ended so. It was a good beginning to make gods and demons the authors of their science, and to have used a peculiar way of speaking and writing, notwithstanding that philosophy concludes it folly to persuade a man to his own good by an unintelligible way. Ut sequis medicus imperet, ut sumat. Tergenam herbigradam domi portam sanguine casam. Describing it by the epithets of an animal trailing with its slime over the herbage without blood or bones and carrying its home upon its back, meaning simply a snail. Cost. It was a good rule in their art, and that accompanies all other vain, fantastic, and supernatural arts, that the patient's belief should prepossess them with good hope and assurance of their effects and operation, a rule they should hold to that degree as to maintain that the most inexpert and ignorant physician is more proper for a patient who has confidence in him than the most learned and experienced whom he is not so acquainted with. Nay, even the very choice of most of their drugs is in some sort mysterious and divine. The left foot of a tortoise, the urine of a lizard, the dung of an elephant, the liver of a mole, blood drawn from under the right wing of a white pigeon, and for us who have the stone so scornfully they use us in our miseries, the excrement of rats beaten to powder, and such like trash and fooleries which rather carry a face of magical enchantment than of any solid science. I omit the odd number of their pills, the destination of certain days and feasts of the year, the superstition of gathering their simples at certain hours, and that so austere and very wise countenance and carriage which Pliny himself so much derides. But they have, as I said, failed in that they have not added to this fine beginning 
the making their meetings and consultations more religious and secret, where no profane person should have admission, no more than in the secret ceremonies of Esculapius, for by the reason of this it falls out that their irresolution, the weakness of their arguments, divinations, and foundations, the sharpness of their disputes, full of hatred, jealousy, and self-consideration, coming to be discovered by every one, a man must be marvelously blind not to see that he runs a very great hazard in their hands. Whoever saw one physician approve of another's prescription without taking something away or adding something to it, by which they sufficiently betray their tricks and make it manifest to us that they therein more consider their own reputation and consequently their profit than their patient's interest. He was a much wiser man of their tribe who of old gave it as a rule that only one physician should undertake a sick person, for if he do nothing to purpose, one single man's default can bring no great scandal upon the art of medicine, and on the contrary, the glory will be great if he happen to have success. Whereas, when there are many, they at every turn bring a disrepute upon their calling, forasmuch as they oftener do hurt than good. They ought to be satisfied with the perpetual disagreement which is found in the opinions of the principal masters and ancient authors of this science, which is only known to men well read, without discovering to the vulgar the controversies and various judgments which they still nourish and continue amongst themselves. Will you have one example of the ancient controversy in physic? Herophilus lodges the original cause of all diseases in the humors, Erasistratus in the blood of the arteries, Asclepiades in the invisible atoms of the pores, Alcmaion in the exuberance or defect of our bodily strength, Diocles in the inequality of the elements of which the body is composed, and in the quality of the air we breathe, Strato, in the abundance, crudity, and corruption of the nourishment we take, and Hippocrates lodges it in the spirits. There is a certain friend of ours, Celsus, preface to the first book, whom they know better than I, who declares upon this subject that the most important science in practice amongst us is that which is entrusted with our health and conservation, is by ill luck the most uncertain, the most perplexed and agitated with the greatest mutations. There is no great danger in our mistaking the height of the sun or the fraction of some astronomical supplutation. But here, where our whole being is concerned, "'Tis not wisdom to abandon ourselves to the mercy of the agitation of so many contrary winds. Before the Peloponnesian War there was no great talk of this science. Hippocrates brought it into repute, whatever he established, Chrysippus overthrew, and after that Aristratus, Aristotle's grandson, overthrew what Chrysippus had written. After these, the empirics started up, who took a quite contrary way to the ancients in the management of this art. When the credit of these began a little to decay, Herophilus set another sort of practice on foot, which Asclepiades, in turn, stood up against and overthrew. Then, in their turn, the opinions first of Themiso, and then of Musa, and after that those of Vectius Valens, a physician famous through the intelligence he had with Messalina, came in vogue. The empire of physic in Nero's time was established in Thessalus, who abolished and condemned all that had been held till his time. This man's doctrine was refuted by Crinus of Marseilles, who first brought all medical operations under the ephemerides and motions of the stars, 
and reduced eating, sleeping, and drinking to hours that were most pleasing to Mercury and the moon. His authority was soon after supplanted by Carinus, a physician of the same city of Marseille, a man who not only controverted all the ancient methods of physic, but moreover the usage of hot baths that had been generally, and for so many ages, in common use. He made men bathe in cold water, even in winter, and plunged his sick patients into the natural waters of streams. No Roman till Pliny's time had ever vouchsafed to practice physic, as tis now amongst us French by those who sputter Latin. For, as a very great physician says, we do not easily accept the medicine we understand, no more than we do the drugs we ourselves gather. If the nations whence we fetch our guayacum, sarsaparilla, and china wood have physicians, how great a value must we imagine by the same recommendation of strangeness, rarity, and dear purchase do they set upon our cabbage and parsley? For who would dare to contemn things so far-fetched and sought out at that hazard of so long and dangerous a voyage? Since these ancient mutations in physic, there have been infinite others down to our own times, and for the most part, mutations entire and universal as those for example, produced by Paracelsus, Fioravanti, and Argentier. For they, as I am told, not only alter one recipe, but the whole contexture and rules of the body of physic, accusing all others of ignorance and imposition who have practiced before them. At this rate, in what a condition the poor patient must be, I leave you to judge. End of section 39. Reading by Malone.